Would you stand with me? Week two of our uh, worship series. We're going we're gonna to read together, and I'm just going to blow right on through it because everybody will get settled down here. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Mirabah, as you did that day at Massa in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that the Holy Spirit would quicken us, that you would breathe life into this place, and that you would change us, that our lives would be changed by what we receive from your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. That may sound like a, uh, a, a strange passage to end up on, but what we're going to talk about today is how to not go astray, how to know his ways, how to be able to enter into his rest, and the key to that is worship. That's what, that's what keeps us on track. Now, first of all, let me just tell you that this, uh, this graphic up here is very symbolic. And I intentionally used white uh, lettering, although I did put a little shadow behind it, because when it slips off the Bible, it gets fuzzy. Yeah, there you go. Symbolism. Okay. English 101. <laughs> we just finished a series about the seven statements of faith that we have here at Springhouse, and statement number six concerns the Bible, and one of the things that it says about the Bible is that uh, it contains our instruction for life. Uh, you may not be familiar with the number, but you're familiar with the verse, Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So that means God's word shows us how to walk, shows us the right things to do. Occasionally, I will talk to people who have questions about <clears throat> or problems with our mode of worship here at Springhouse. Well, here's our philosophy, or at least this is my philosophy. If the Bible instructs a particular method of worship, then it must be okay. It must be If it tells us do this or this is how to do this, then it, then it must be legit. Uh, if a particular method is not instructed in the Bible, then it's at best a gray area. But all of the things that we do, as far as I know, are things that are instructed in the Bible, and that's what we're going to talk about today. What does the Bible instruct about how to worship? First of all, we'll cover some vocal things, and obviously singing and, and music are legit. Obviously singing is legit. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. We just read that passage of Scripture. Uh, and there are, there are scores of them. 
Uh, here's another. David told the leaders to appoint their brothers as singers to sing joyful songs accompanied by musical instruments, lyres, harps, and cymbals. The reason that I wanted to pull this one up is because uh, what he's talking about here is, are the Levites who were hired to come and work in the temple, and they were hired to come, well, in David's case, it was a tabernacle. Solomon's time, it became the temple. But they were hired, <clears throat> some of them were hired to sing. And uh, so actually, it's appropriate. You can even hire people to come sing. I've got a, my best friend in high school attends a church over on West End, and it's a big old rich church, and it's got a lot of big old rich people in it, and, uh, and they hire their whole choir, and their choir's pretty, pretty hot stuff. I know one or two of the singers over there, and those people, those, people, those people can sing, but when I first heard that, I thought, you hire your choir? You, you hire somebody to come in and worship for you? And then I read the Bible and went, oh, okay, yeah, well, then that's okay to do that. Of course, the thing is, when we put a choir together here, it's better than theirs that they pay money to, but it, that's, that's just my opinion, just telling, you, just telling you how that goes down, how that works. But it's okay to do that, so I don't condemn anybody who, who does that. In fact, for those of you who are wondering about, uh, yeah, there is a guy that we hired to come and play music and sing here, and uh, he has not been taken hostage in Africa uh, he will be coming back. He'll actually be back next week. But I'm also really happy to be part of a church where when your worship leader isn't there, visitors don't even know it. Because the Lord's really blessed us with some, with some people who have, who have an anointing here for that. But part of that flows from the person that we have over the department. Colossians, in the New Testament, Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs and grat with gratitude in your hearts to God. Uh, some have used this verse to raise the question about whether or not there should even be musical instruments in the church. And so let me give you a, a note about Old Testament, New Testament worship. And once again, this is my take on it. Unless the New Testament tells us that it's been superseded, unless the New Testament tells us that it's passed away, I don't think we have any right to go, oh, you can't do that anymore. I, I mean, I really don't. Now, there are some things that the New Testament has told us that about. Animal sacrifice. Jesus Christ has offered his own blood once and for all time. We don't need other sacrifices. So that, that, that has been superseded. Um, the feast and things that were commanded. It's good to have them. I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's fine to keep them. I don't see any reason not to keep them. But we're not required to anymore. Paul says one man considers... One day more special than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be firmly convinced in their own heart, and they shouldn't condemn each other for what, for what they're doing there. Uh, even circumcision, which was one of the key commands of worship in the Old Testament, uh, in the New Testament, over in Acts 15, uh, the church, the council at Jerusalem said, well, that's not something we're going to put on the Gentile believers. I mean, it's not something that you... Uh, can't do, but it's not something that you have to do. It's not something you have to do for worship. When it comes to, to musical instruments, though, I, uh, I support the use of musical instruments because, well, for, for this reason. First of all, there's no doubt about their use and validity in the Old Testament. Uh, there are scores of verses, but here's one from Psalm 150. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise him with strings and flutes. Praise them with a clash of cymbals. Praise them with resounding cymbals. You've got 
strings, you've got brass, you've got percussion, uh, all that's going on there. But there's also no question that they used musical instruments in heaven. Over in Revelation, they held harps given them by God and sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. And it talks about angels being given trumpets. And so my, my feeling is if it, if it was then and it will be, then it is now. At least that's, you know, who was and is and is to come. That's, uh, that's the way that I look at it. Nevertheless, if I go someplace where they refute musical instruments and all the singing's a cappella, man, I'm, I'm all about it. I'm ready to sing a cappella. Let's have at it. Uh, I, you know, I, I enjoy hearing me sing. And, <laughs> and I hope you do too. <laughs> a little bit more about this here a little bit later on. Sing a new song to the Lord. New songs as well as old. Psalm 96.1. And there's a bunch of places. Psalm uh, 33. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully. Shout for joy. Over in Revelation, we see the 24 elders falling down before the throne and, and, and singing a new song before the Lamb. And the 144,000 who are redeemed singing a new song no one else could learn. Most of us, well, I say most of us, a lot of us <clears throat> are intimidated by new stuff because we don't know it. We know the old stuff, and we're comfortable with the old stuff. And so the new stuff comes along, and yeah, we just kind of get freaked out about it. We don't necessarily like it. I remember when I first started uh, here, we sang out of the uh, um, hymns of glorious praise, which many of you are probably familiar with, at least if you went to church 20 years ago, you're familiar with it. We sang out hymns of glorious praise, and I remember the... Um, the confusion that surrounded the transformation from hymns to glorious praise to singing off the wall, as they call it. And it wasn't literally off the wall. We bought a screen. We put it up. We didn't have a good wall to reflect off of. And we had an overhead projector. And we had a lady who was always at least two verses behind in, in handling that overhead projector. But that's, you know, that's what we, that, I can understand there being some confusion about it. But, you know, if you think about it, there was probably a day when the, it, would, it would have been wonderful that, to be there that first day that somebody brought a lyric sheet into the church and to hear the, because <gasps> up until that time, if you were going to sing, you had to, you had to learn it. The only thing they had were the Old Testament scrolls and you didn't, you didn't bring one of those, you know, to church with you. You know, here, I'm going to church today. Let's, let's meet in secret. Nobody on. They couldn't do that. And so it, it had to be a freak out. And then when, the, and then when, it, when it became uh, actual song books, ah, you know, because they've been singing out of the Bible. You know, they had Bibles they sung out of, and now they brought these books in here. Here's the deal. In case you haven't noticed, things change. And, and generations change and, and tastes change. And if you're an old person, and so change is being upsetting to you because things are happening, just realize that, you know, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, you're not going to be here. They are. So let them get their, let, let them get their stuff going. 
So they can enjoy theirs for 20 or 30 years until they start getting upset about the change that's coming behind them. Because that's the way that it works. That's the way, and there's really, I was going to say nothing, but few things more beautiful than an older person who when change comes along goes, that's beautiful, that's wonderful. I give it my blessing. It's a, it's, it's, it's a delightful thing. Anyway, sing a new song to the Lord. Uh, another thing that we can do vocally is shout. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. We read that verse. Okay, yeah. Psalm 71, 23, my lips will shout for joy when I sing praise to you. I, whom you have redeemed, do you know the rock of your salvation? Uh, have you been redeemed? If you have, if you, if you are included in that number, then you have the biblical right, if not the imperative, to shout. Now, this doesn't mean that we must shout all the time. I am a Christian. I hope you become one too. There's a time to be silent. There's a time to be still. But we have reason and we have permission to let it rip. Posture that we have in worship. Bowing and kneeling down. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Psalm 95, we read it earlier. Romans 14 says this, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. We don't ritually bow down much in our worship services. Uh, you say, well, we don't ritually do anything. Oh, yeah, we do. We, we ritually, we dance. Every, every service. We, we play musical instruments. We, we sing. Um, oftentimes we shout. You know, those, those are rituals. Uh, you know, just because something's a ritual doesn't mean it has to be dead. It has to be quiet. Yeah. It doesn't have to be. Uh, but we don't uh, do a lot of bowing down, and quite frankly, uh, the older I get, the bowing down isn't the problem. <laughs> it's, the, it's the getting back up. Uh, that, that becomes the problem. But that is an ancient and biblical form of, of showing honor, of beseeching, of saying, you know, you're... And it's also a, a biblical an ancient form of uh, showing contrition, um, brokenness. All of those things are appropriate in worship. And I love it. I love being in a, a situation where some people are standing, some are sitting, some are kneeling, some are bowing down. And, so, and oftentimes, as a pastor, well, not oftentimes, but sometimes I'll know what's behind that bowing down. I'll know what's going on, something in that person's life. And I'm not, I don't want to freak anybody out. I mean, I'm just a pastor. I hear stuff, okay? Uh, I mean, there may be times God reveals it to me, but most of the time I just hear it. And uh, to be in a situation where all of that is going on, and some are dancing, and some are weeping, and some are laughing. Uh, see, this is why we come together for worship. Or it's one of the reasons why we come together for worship. I heard Don Finto make this analogy several years ago. And it, okay, decades ago. But it, <laughs> it uh, really made an impression on me. 
uh, so much. So he said, he said the, the church, the corporate church, is like an ocean-going vessel. And you, me, us individually, we're like little rowboats, little dinghies. And life is an ocean. And there are waves. And when you're in your dinghy, you know what happens? Wee, uh, wee, uh, wee, uh. I mean, that's, uh, that's what happens. But an ocean-going vessel, when the waves come along, it goes right on through them. And so when we come together, there are times that you'll come and you're, you're, you're ready to saddle up and ride. Boy, I, am a, I are a Christian, and this is great stuff here. Yeah. yeah. Y'all are going to school to learn better than that. Uh, and there are times that we come and we're just destroyed. But because you come together, those who are, who are brokenhearted, those who, who, who come face in the midst of adversity are lifted up. They're, they're raised up. They're reminded. No weapon formed against us can prosper. And everything God is at work for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. That, 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 that encouragement is put into them. And those who are, woo-hoo-hoo, they're also kind of reminded that, hey, you know what? Woo-hoo-hoo is really good, but nobody lives there forever. And we learn to, to ride on the ocean together. And so as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess unto God, and it's appropriate to bow down. It's also appropriate, interestingly enough, to stand. This is, uh, this is from Chronicles. They were also to stand every morning to thank and praise the Lord. This is the temple worship that we're talking about. And then uh, in Nehemiah, he talks about the leaders of the Levites and their associates who stood opposite them, gave praise and thanksgiving, one section responding to the other, as prescribed by David, the man of God. Oh, oh. That's what they were were doing. A little call and response going on there. They were were standing. it, 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 It is both an ancient and biblical precedent to stand. How many of you have seen Downton Abbey? Okay. The rest of you are the real redeemed because I know you were reading your Bibles while all of us were watching Downton Abbey. But those of you who've seen Downton Abbey, uh, what happens when one of the family members comes downstairs into a room where all the servants are? They immediately stand up. Why? Because when someone worthy of honor and respect enters the room, you stand. Let me tell you, when we come together to worship, there's somebody worthy of honor and respect who comes into the room. And I'm not talking about any person up here on the platform or even anybody in the seats, although some of them may be worthy of honor. I'm talking about the Lord. And so, so, you know, why do we stand when we worship? Well, I do it because he's here. He's here. I want to... I want to acknowledge that. 
Now, let me just say this. There's no real precedent for sitting to worship, but there's no prohibition against it either, and I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. In fact, there is this, Psalm 149, verse 3, let the saints rejoice in this honor and sing for joy on their beds. And it talks about uh, Jacob over in Genesis by faith. When he was dying, he blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. And, and then it says that after he finished blessing them, he, he drew, drew his feet up into his bed, passed away. So I got to, you know, I mean, I know uh, if you're a certain age, the idea, I mean, uh, there was a time when, you know, I did this on my bed. <laughs> that was a long time ago. Over six weeks. <laughs> but for the most part, you know, we're talking sitting, laying down, that, that kind of stuff. You can worship the Lord in any posture or position. The, the attitude, it's not a matter of your posture. You, if, you, if you need to sit, sit. Uh, and you, maybe you need to sit because of a physical condition. Maybe you need to sit because of the, just where your heart is at that point in time. The point is be engaged. My parents, I grew up in a, I grew up in a culture where if the doors were open, we were there at church. Because if the doors were open and we weren't there and the Lord came back, we weren't going with him. <laughs> so we had to be sure and be there. I don't want anybody to come here because they're afraid of missing the rapture. Are afraid. I want them to come here because I was glad when they said to me, "Let us go to the house of the Lord." And now, and now we're here. I want them. I want them to to come here for because they want to because they're because they're attracted to it. As my parents got older, uh, well, when I was younger and my dad was a pastor, if somebody a regular didn't show up at church, I heard about it at home. I'm just telling you. Some preachers do that. But uh, as my parents got older, they began to understand that sometimes there are reasons that are legitimate why people aren't there. You know, some, sometimes there are legitimate reasons. And, uh, and when they began to realize that, this, this, this breath of freedom just kind of blew through the family. That was nice. It, 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 it was really nice. Uh, when you're here, I would rather you be here and sitting the whole time than, you know, at home sitting. You know, you've made the, that's an act of worship just to come. But, you can, but be engaged. Be engaged. I mean, there's, there's setting and there's sitting. Be engaged. I understand the, during the sermon, but I mean, during the worship, come on. That's, that's an engagement time. Clapping. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout the God with cries of joy. Once again, that's a biblical and ancient expression of appreciation. Hey, you did that so good. Wow. That, that, did you hear that song? Did you see that, that run? Did you... You know, clap. Now, it doesn't mean you do it all the time, but it is permissible. You can do that. Uh, okay. <laughs> Raising hands because your love is better than life. I love this passage. 
because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you and I will praise you as long as I live and in your name I will lift up my hands. His love is always better than life. 1 Timothy 2.8, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. Raising hands, when, when somebody is not used to a more spontaneous, demonstrative type of worship experience, and they come into a spontaneous, demonstrative type of worship experience, then uh, the raising of hands is often a real barometer of, of how long they've been there. <laughs> You know, because it usually starts out like this or, you know, like this. Uh, but, uh, you know, the first step is generally this, right? Now, let me show you something. You can do this. You can also do this. That's even more subtle. Nobody knows that you're doing it. And then, and then you know, they kind of tend to, you know, sometimes get here. This is pretty good. Yeah, take my money. That's all I got. <laughs> and once again, you know, this, this, also, this also works. Uh, but then you know that they're well on their way. They, they, they're pretty far along the line when, they, when, when it gets at least ear high. Yeah. And then finally, wow, I never saw that before. Look at that. I'll stand, arms high and heart abandoned. <gasps> and, and the stretching out of hands is, uh, once again, it, it's, it's an ancient symbol. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. It's, it's supplication. Help. I, I need your help. It's a symbol of trust. I, I trust you. And it's also beautiful symbol of a relationship between daddy and the kids i mean if you can if, if you can resist your your little child coming to you and going without going oh come on up here then something's wrong with you <laughs> absolutely and the reason you feel that way is because you were created in his image and he feels that way and when he sees that, that's, that's his response. That's, that's what he wants to do. So, you know, we, we can raise our hands. Movement. You knew this was coming. Let them praise his name with dancing. Make music to him with tambourine and harp. And, of course, there are lots of other verses and their examples. Miriam and the women after Pharaoh was defeated, the, um, the women celebrating after, after David defeated Goliath. Um, I grew up in a culture, in a church culture, where dancing was totally prohibited. You, you could dance in church, but, it didn't need, but as long as it didn't look like dance, as long as it looked like you had a problem, <laughs> you could do it. But, but because I grew up in, in a situation where you know, you just didn't, you sure didn't dance out there. And so when I was a teenager, and, uh, you know, every now and then I go on a, a date. You know, I know you're just supposed to court. You're not supposed to date. I went on dates. All right, I surrender. But I go on a date, and uh, they go places where people dance. Oh, 
I didn't know how to do anything. I mean, you know, I couldn't, you know, or give it, whatever, nothing. Then about, I don't know, five or six years ago, we had on Wednesday night the men's dance class. That's where I learned my stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, look at this. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. <laughs> Look, here's why, I mean, a lot of people come, when they first come here, they go, I don't know about that dancing, it's so distracting. Well, it's distracting if you're distracted, okay? Well, let me tell you why we do it. We do it because, of, of, because the Bible says we can do it, and also, as I mentioned before, nobody else is doing it, so, you know, we, we need, somebody's got to, we're doing it. And, but it releases something in the house. I mean, if you're, when you're back there to, to, um, in the midst of worship and everybody in front of you is going, <laughs> that creates an atmosphere. But when you got people in front of you going, that creates an atmosphere. It breaks something loose, a, a crust that the, that the world tries to encase you in throughout the week. And so that's, you know, that's why we do it. And you may go, well, you know, some of those women don't look, they don't dance as well. They're all beautiful. They are beautiful. Every one of them. Well, they, they do look a lot better than those men, you know, except, except for maybe Damien. No, the, the men, they're beautiful too. Absolutely. And you would be too if you want to give it a shot. I mean, you have permission. You don't have to, but you have permission. Okay. One, one, and let me, one last thing here. Boy, I've got to hurry along. Um, when David was bringing the ark into Jerusalem, y'all are aware that he, 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 he got down. He, he was boogieing and... His wife, Michael, Saul's daughter, saw him, and uh, it says, when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Now, I don't know if you can see the detail well enough to figure out which one of these is Michael, but I'll tell you, it's not one of the ones smiling. And it goes on to say, and Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. I mean, when David got home, she let him have an earful, and he said, well... You know, sorry you feel that way, but I'm not going to change this. Uh, she was barren to the day of her death. Jesus, uh, in telling the story of the prodigal son, says that uh, when the elder brother heard the, the, the music and the dancing, that he was offended, wouldn't go in. Father came out to him. So here's the thing. You don't have to dance. Oh, in fact, some of you I'd probably rather, but... <laughs> But I'm not mentioning any names. Actually, there's nobody that I wouldn't like to see dance with. I mean, you know, some of you kind of go, well, you wouldn't want to see me. Oh, yeah, I would. Oh, yeah, I would. But uh, here's the thing. Uh, you don't have to dance. But if you decide to despise those who do, you're in some very iffy company. 
And so, let them dance. Let, let, the, let, let, the, let the kids be free. Exulting. You know, here's one of the, I mean, which is, you know, j- j- jumping. Uh, there is, believe it or not, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of wired, um, hot wired, but there are times that uh, I don't want to jump when I come to church. And it's invariably on the Sundays that Wayne selects a let's all jump song. <laughs> the Bible doesn't actually tell us to jump, but it says we can exult, which is, okay, blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, who walk in the light of your presence. Oh, Lord, they rejoice in your name all day long. They exult in your righteousness. Isaiah says, and the Lord, all the descendants of Israel may be found righteous will be found righteous and will exult. Exalt means to lift up high. Exult means to go crazy. And jump. Exult is at, at, at the end of the World Series when the pitcher makes the last pitch, it's the last out, throws his glove up in the air, all these grown men come jumping around each other. Oh, God, oh, God, we won, we won, we won. That's exulting. And, and it's jumping. And let me tell you one other little secret before I move off of this, and because I gotta, I gotta get going here. Uh, the uh, the times that you know, I, I mean, really, I got a six inch, six inch vertical leap, and uh, you know, and, and not not the best left knee in the world. But uh, the the times that that Wayne is going, all right, you know, let's let's jump in the river or, or whatever it is we're going to do. You know, and I, what I want to say is, let me see you jump in the river. <laughs> but I've discovered that if I'll just, about two or three minutes, and I am someplace else with the Lord, beyond anywhere I was going to go on my own, because I obediently... And obedience is the heart of sacrifice, and sacrifice is the heart of worship, and we bring the obedient sacrifice of praise into the house of our God. Some iffy practices, rolling on the floor. I grew up a holy roller, but I don't really see it in the Bible. Uh, A few years ago, there was a a thing of people laughing uncontrollably, uh, and some roaring and barking and making animal noises. <laughs> so that, oh boy, I think I'd be a, anyway, uh, a little freaked out by that. I'm not saying those are wrong, but I am saying this. If somebody says, man, I just had to, I couldn't control myself. Well, then that wasn't God. Because 1 Corinthians 14 says the spirit of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. The spirit of prophecy is the spirit of Jesus. And when the Holy Spirit comes, you say, well, wait a minute. You know, the Holy Spirit's in control of me. He's only in control of you if you let him be. Okay. Uh, I got 20 minutes worth of sermon to put into three. So let's get there. Must all of these things be done? No. In a word, no. You know, you don't have to go through life going, I'm a Christian! You know. You can do these things. Now, there's such a thing as a broad construction and narrow construction, the way people look at things. A broad constructionist will look at something and say, okay, it says that I can do it. A narrow constructionist will look at it and go, no, you got to do it. Jump. 
Yeah. Uh, I tend to be a broad constructionist, in case you haven't noticed. The only thing I'm a narrow constructionist about is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which there's, no, there's just no moving off of that. Uh, some would see these as commands, others as permission. Neither should condemn the other. And speaking of disputable matters, Paul says, Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls in stand he will, for the Lord is able to make him stand. And he goes on to say, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. And so if I go to a wilder church than ours, um, oh yes, there definitely are many. I may not end to everything that they do, but I'm not going to condemn what they do unless it's something that's clearly leading away from, from Christ. You know, I, I'm, it's their house. There are people responding to this, and God put them there. If I go into a liturgical situation, I'm not going to go, oh, these people are dead. You know, because they aren't as spontaneous demonstrative as we are as a matter of fact uh, liturgical worship situations are very much they have a lot in common with uh, uh, with the charismatic worship situations I mean those people they get up they sit down they get up they sit down they kneel they get up they sit down they they read out loud together they it's it's a participatory experience as as our worship is Uh, but it doesn't mean that one's right and one's wrong you don't condemn each other about disputable matters uh, most of you know Father Cash over at uh, uh, St. Patrick's Anglican, and you know, good friend of mine. He was telling me one time about his bishop taking his grandson to a community service, and uh, he took his grandson to a community service. And I don't know who was giving the prayer, but it wasn't a, an Anglican or, or, or a Catholic or a, a liturgical person. It was a, you know Baptist, Methodist, Assembly of God, something, and. Uh, and halfway through the prayer that the guy was praying, uh, the bishop's grandson <clears throat> nudged him and said, I think he's just making that up. <laughs> but we don't condemn each other. We do what leads to peace and mutual edification. And we find that we can worship him in the beauty of holiness, spontaneous by road, however it may be. It's about the heart. What's coming from the heart? Uh, I'm out of time. Two other things. We talked about these last week. We're going to talk about them more. Uh, two other f- forms of worship, not talking about expressions, but offerings. Moses said three times, he says, don't come before the Lord empty-handed. No one's to come before the Lord empty-handed. You say, well... I- you know, there you go. You're talking about money again. No, you just wait. I'm going to do a series on that later on. I'm not talking about money, although money's part of it. And, I, and if you don't have a dime, I'd rather you come, be here than not be here, and God would too. But that's not the only thing you bring. You bring your passion. You, you bring your attention. You, you bring your love. You come, you connect. It's an offering. It's a sacrifice unto God. It's not coming before Him empty-handed. And then we talked about last week, service, presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice unto God. It's our spiritual act of worship. And we need to be reminded that when we serve others, we serve God. 
Jesus said, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. And what is he talking about? He's talking about feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, housing the homeless, visiting the, those in prison, taking care of the sick, uh, encouraging your brothers and sisters. You're getting ready to go to school. A bunch of you are tomorrow. You're going to see probably one of your friends in the hallway. They might need to hear, you know, I'm, I'm praying for you. I'm, we're going to take this school. This belongs to us. God is with us today. That just word of encouragement to them. Last thing, close with this. Do not harden your heart. That's the bottom line. Do not harden your heart. Worship keeps our hearts pliable. Keeps our hearts soft. We, we have a enough hardening agents coming against it on a daily basis. We need worship to counteract those so that we're, we're open to the gospel. We're open to the word. We're open to the Holy Spirit speaking into our lives. Worship lubricates that. And then we can enter into his peace, whether it be in a raucous dance or in a quiet moment of meditation on our knees before God. Those who are going to pray with people, come. If you're here and you don't know Christ, we'd love to introduce you to him. He brought you here. Well, no, my, 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 my cousin brought me here. No, he brought you here. You're, you're here because, because the Holy Spirit wooed you and got you out of bed and brought you here today. So if, you, uh, if you'd like to know him, it's not nearly as much as he wants to know you. So we invite you. If you're here and you just need something, I mean, it's a, it's a big old ocean out there. And our boats, none of our boats are all that big throughout the week. Uh, maybe you hit some pretty good waves. <laughs> Come, we want to pray for you. God, that's what this time in the service is for. Physical, financial, emotional, guidance, whatever you may need. Uh, come, let a brother or sister pray with you. If you don't need to come, let's worship together.
God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who sent his Son into the world so that we might be redeemed, so that we might be his people, the sheep of his pasture. May gratefulness, thanksgiving, worship well up inside of you, and may it be the theme of your life in this dark world. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord.